0: Making his first appearance since joining the Seahawks in the Russell Wilson trade. Drew Locke spoke with the media for the first time on Monday. Rob Rang and I are going to break down our takeaways from Locke's first introduction to Seahawks fans here on our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast part of the Locked On
1: Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Greetings, twelve. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks Your first listen five days a week. We got another jam-packed episode coming your way. A few free agent signings for us to break down and hand out grades for. We're going to take a close look at Drew Locke's first comments as a quarterback for the Seahawks with the media and much more. This episode is brought your way by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Now for to lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We'll get to free agency here in a minute, but really the breaking news for today, Rob, myself and all the other reporters that competed today at the Seahawks Media Combine all survived without any damaged hamstrings or blown out knees, which by itself, Is quite a victory, and it was nice to see them bring back the Media Combine because this has been something I have been begging for the last couple years since I've been on the beat. They did it a couple times in the mid-2010s, and then the pandemic hits, so it was a fun chance for media members to show off their chops and show off their athleticism and got to run the 40-yard dash. We have to take a look at this, and I'll let you, the draft analyst here, grade (laughs) it out
1: i i like your form there and then the good quick steps right i, I bet your 10-yard split is impressive uh you know i i don't know what they actually i believe that they said you came in at a, at a five five which is pretty damn fast you know for for a media guy you know i mean i know that you're you were uh you know a big time athlete in high school and so uh with all due respect i i think that 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 really shows what a what a good athlete after he's aged a little bit is still able to do <laughs> you can just see that you're you know you have the athletic ability um you know i mean i would run probably a seven five and i bet you there are a lot of our listeners who would run a seven five people who but i mean you understand as an athlete yourself you know and, and just doing this job it is a very very rare human being that runs under a five flat forty I mean, that oh, yeah. is smoking. And when you see these behemoths, you know, the Jordan Davises of the world and, and guys like that, you know, running a, a sub 5-second 40-yard dash at 300 pounds, it is truly remarkable. I mean, it is just you, you don't see NFL players just walking through the mall very often, not the, not the big guys, because they are that large. They really do stand out of crowd. Well, their athleticism is that much more of a just a, a unbelievable, uh, you know, thing as well. Uh, it, it really is. So I, I I'm, I'm proud of you, and and I, I love that the, the Seahawks are, are are doing the media combine events. I think that's awesome. Just what a what an example, what an opportunity for you guys all to kind of just uh, you know develop some camaraderie that way, and and show an awesome athletic ability as well.
0: Yeah, kudos to Mike Dugar of The Athletic who ran a 4.85 second 40, which again, as you just mentioned, running a sub 5 second 40, that is not easy. There are only a handful of human beings that can do that. I mean, NFL guys, we're talking 0.00001% of the world's population. That's how ridiculous of athletes they are. So Mike getting a 4.85. Now, I will say this. I'm 75 pounds heavier than Mike Dugar, so for me getting a 5'5 at almost 240 pounds and being 33 years old, and oh by the way, I didn't train for this either. I have not done any sprint training since maybe I was in my early 20s. At least consistently, I was pretty darn satisfied with that score. I, I was still able to get that train caboose going, so uh, I thought that our reporters, you know, we weren't going to be lighting it up. But I mean, a 5-5, there are not a lot of people that can run in that range, and so. I will take that. It was a lot of fun. Now, my broad jump, that was pretty disappointing. I didn't jump near as far as I wanted. My vertical was fairly decent, but overall, it was a really fun event. Glad the Seahawks brought it back. Let's get to some free agent signings here real quick. Rob, the Seahawks this weekend, first signing Quentin Jefferson, bringing back the veteran defensive tackle, and then agreeing to terms on Sunday with Rashad Penny on a one-year deal worth $5.75 million. So addressing a couple of positional needs, the Seahawks are looking for different types of defensive linemen now. They've cut Carlos Dunlap, Kerry Hyder, Benson Mayoa, and they're bringing in those bigger body guys that can play end and tackle because they're going to be playing more of those three, four sets. You need guys that can play three-tech and nose. Quentin Jefferson can do that. And last year, 50 pressures for the Las Vegas Raiders. And by the way, Rob, he's got at least 30 pressures each of the past four seasons. So he might not get a lot of sacks, but Quentin Jefferson is one of the more underrated interior pass rushers in the NFL to get him for two years around 9 million. I actually think that that's a pretty darn good deal for a guy that played on two playoff teams in Buffalo and Las Vegas after leaving Seattle. He's a winner and he's a really underrated player.
1: No, he, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I, I give this kind of a B plus. I, I think that this is kind of one of those sneaky deals. You know, obviously the Seahawks and Seahawks fans are, are very familiar with Quentin Jefferson. Um, you know, his time in Seattle, he was a good player, but he has become a better player since then. He's, he's just so active. Um, and you like the, the ability to be able to play inside at both of those two spots. As you talked about, you know, with the, the switch to the 3-4, um, you know, of course, they're going to be doing some hybrid stuff and basically using the format. In front as well, and he can kind of play any of those interior spots for you. Um, he he is big, he's physical, um, he knows the Seahawk way, so to speak, from before, and he can kind of be a little bit of a coach on the field. Seattle, we've talked about it, Corbin. Seattle has historically liked to bring in a defensive lineman um, that's a, a veteran, just to kind of be that that calming influence. I think we, we saw the the impact that that had, uh, you know, just at the running back position last year. Um, with adrian peterson and, and so to me um again that, that to me that that's kind of the, the way i'll switch over here real quick and, and just have a comment on on uh, with Rashad Penny coming back again, I, I think this is another really high grade kind of a thing. I mean, maybe even an A, because I, I like the fact that you are rewarding the player. I mean, five plus million—that's not nothing here. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's also just a tease of what Rashad Penny could get if he is able to build off of, of last season's, you know, really flashy finish. So to me, I think it's it's team friendly. It's also player respectful, um, and and you have to be excited about at least the report that Rashad Penny had bigger deals elsewhere want, believed in Seattle as a home. I think that he certainly, somebody certainly is going to get to rock a lot considering what the Seahawks may have at, at the quarterback position and, and Seattle's focus on running the football. So to me, I think that this was a, a deal in both regards um, uh, that make a lot of sense for, for the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, I gave both of these signings solid Bs because you know, you're talking – Potentially $6 million, a little over $6 for for Rashad Penny in incentives. I like that, that they gave him a carrot to get some extra money because this is a guy that's missed 31 games in his first four seasons. So he has had injury issues, but we saw that tantalizing talent. I just mentioned how happy I was running a 5'5 at 235 pounds. This is a guy that runs a 4'4 at 235 pounds. You just don't see guys built like that that have that home run hitting ability 25-yard runs, 25-plus-yard runs. He had eight of them in the last five games, which is ridiculous. He ended up tying the NFL lead with Jonathan Taylor on more than 200 fewer carries. And so it was just an ungodly final stretch. Now the Seahawks are hoping that they can get close to a full season out of him because if he was able to play like that or even close to that for an entire season, we're talking a 1,500 to 1,800-yard rusher, a potential All-Pro He's got that kind of talent. We know the injury history, though. So, again, I'm going to give a B. I like the Jefferson one as well because of his flexibility. Again, a very underrated pass rusher. I like the scheme fit. He's kind of one of those players you can chuck him into any scheme because he can play all over the place. But I really like the veteran leadership, the fact that he's a player that Clint Hurt holds in really high regard. You can move him all over the place. I think he's going to have a really nice season for the Seahawks. That's an excellent addition for that defensive line. So really two really good moves for Seattle. They still got some holes they've got to fill. We're going to get to that on the offensive side of the ball later in the show. But coming up next, Drew Locke introduced to the Seattle media yesterday, had his first chance to answer questions, and it was a fairly impressive press conference. You and I are going to be breaking down our takeaways from Locke's first press conference, what jumped out to us here in a moment. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering, informational needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast on YouTube. We've got experts for all 32 teams that pitch into the show with insight and analysis five days a week. Again, available on YouTube. You can also download the audio version of the Locked On NFL podcast on all major podcast platforms. The Seahawks obviously making a huge move earlier this month, trading Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. They got two first-round picks. They got two second-round picks. They were able to add a fifth-rounder, and they got three veteran players back. He was quite a haul for the best quarterback in franchise history. One of those three veterans that came over in that deal was quarterback Drew Locke, who right now on the depth chart, it's only him and Jacob Eason. So if the Seahawks played tomorrow – Jacob Eason would be the backup and Drew Locke would be the starter. And the former second round pick out of Missouri's had a rough go of it, at least the last two years. His rookie season showed some promise. And he had his first opportunity to speak with the local media yesterday. And I want to get your thoughts on this, but I was really impressed because this is a player that coming out of Missouri you got this cocky vibe from him, the way that he handled the media, the way he carried himself. And a little bit of that at the quarterback position is a good thing, but kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But the way that he approached the media yesterday, he has been benched previously in Denver, kind of had a little bit of a wake-up call, and I could just see maturity in the way that he handled the questions that were asked to him, how he answered those. Overall, I thought it was a pretty impressive press conference for him. Again, games are not won in press conferences, but if you're going to look at what was said and you know the importance of it, I thought that Drew Locke really represented himself well yesterday.
1: No, I, I would agree with you. I, I thought that it was an impressive initial uh, press conference, um, you know, with with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I, I also would agree that I think that he. I I liked Drew Locke a lot uh, coming out of college. I mean, I was arguing for him in the first round, um, and and I was surprised when he wound up going to Denver. I actually projected him to go to Denver Broncos in the first round of that that draft three years ago. he is a guy who has all the talent that you're looking for. The knock on Drew Locke was that there was a lot of people who believed that the offense that he ran with the Missouri Tigers was a pretty simplified offense. He basically was only reading one half of the field. Um, when he was at the Senior Bowl, the buzz was that, that he was struggling a little bit with uh, you know some of the terminology and just kind of transferring what he was seeing on the screen to the field. Um, I don't know if that was true or not. I thought that he looked pretty darn impressive at the senior bowl um and in the workouts which you would expect he's got because he's got an absolute cannon um you know so you don't have to worry about anything like that in terms of the kind of throws he can make but i i did wonder about um just how committed that he was um if he really was committed to becoming a, a great quarterback and um and again just how much of a transition that was going to be going into the nfl and then in his first season He looks pretty good. You know, he gets those those last five starts, basically, and and does pretty well there. And then, you know, you, you saw the transition from one offensive coordinator to another, and that's always a challenge for a young quarterback, but especially so in the pandemic environment, having the rookie quarterbacks, as he articulated in his press conference, but to me, what I was kind of taken back by was just how humbled and how hungry he looked. That he was eager for this opportunity. That uh, he was, he made a couple, he commented a couple of times that he didn't want to, um, you know, make excuses about his play. He owned up to the, the fact that he was not as successful as a guy, as talented as he is, should be um, with, with Denver, of course. But at the same time, I, I just thought that this was a guy who, Um recognizes that he does have an opportunity here, and that there you rarely get a third chance. Um, and so I do think that we're gonna see a a very motivated, very humbled and hungry again. Drew Locke, and that's a dangerous player. That's a, a I guess not a dangerous player from a Seattle perspective, an exciting player from a Seattle perspective because you think about the receiver talent the Seahawks have and how just how different that is than what Denver had during his time there. And and I think there's some, there's some reason to be excited here about Drew Locke in the Seahawks uniform.
0: And he said multiple times yesterday that this is a fresh start. It's a true fresh start for him. And it really isn't every sense of the word, whether it's the fact that he's going to be playing in a new city for a new team, playing in a new offensive scheme, or wearing a different jersey number. He's been wearing number three all the way back to when he was starring in high school, all the way up through his tenure in Denver. and obviously. Russell Wilson's been wearing number three for the last decade. I don't think the Seahawks would have allowed him to wear it if he wanted it, but he made it clear that out of respect for Wilson, he wasn't going to wear that number and he wants to write his own story. And you look at the way that things have unfolded in Denver, you know, the prologue wasn't very good because he missed the first chunk of his rookie season with a thumb injury missed most of the year, but chapter one was really impressive. You go four and one as a starter, put up a 64% completion rate, Man, the last couple of chapters, though, have been dreadful. It's been hard to get through that book. So he's got to turn this thing around. And he knows that. He's motivated. He's hungry, as you mentioned. And I really liked the answer he gave me because I was the one that straight up asked, what went wrong in Denver and what do you need to do to ensure that you're much more successful here? And again, like you said, he's not going to make excuses. He owned up to it. He did not play well enough. He led the league in interceptions in 2020. That is not a category you want to be the leader in. And so he went through his young player bumps that year, but he also admitted, look, two of my top receivers were rookies and you mentioned COVID. There were no OTAs. There were just virtual meetings. And for a young quarterback that's trying to learn a new offense after being in an offense that fit him pretty well, his rookie season, making that transition and not getting those reps until training camp, which wasn't a normal training camp. You know, you put all these circumstances together, and Pete Carroll and John Schneider mentioned that last week. He was dealt a really bad hand, and this guy, as Schneider said, he's got a hose. He's got pocket maneuverability, not the athlete that Russell Wilson is, but he can move through the pocket. He can run when he needs to. Um, He's got the accuracy capabilities when he's not, you know, panicked and he's, you know, anticipating throwing windows, he's been inconsistent in that regard. But I really liked what he said about his tenure in Denver and, you know, owning up but also admitting because I think it is true there were some circumstances that made it much more difficult for him to be successful there. Hopefully, Seattle can provide him a good opportunity where he isn't going to be in that type of situation again. He's got plenty of talent around him on the offensive side of the football. That was certainly the comment that stood out to me the most being the guy that's going to be in there to work first and come out last, going to be outworking everybody. We'll see if that actually happens. But he made every statement that he needed to make yesterday. And so I was really impressed on that. And going back to the offensive system, that was the other big takeaway for me. In Denver's rookie season, they were running a West Coast-style offense. So a lot of under center, a lot of play action, a prioritization of the run game, and he won four of the five games that he started in. Shane Waldron's offense, he is seeing a lot of similarities already, including the Verbich. And to me, that's a good thing because maybe that means that he can hit the ground running faster than a guy that changes teams typically does because he already has a background on some of these different types of concepts and, and plays that the Seahawks are going to be running. And if Shane Waldron's able to reach him and he's able to get this playbook down quickly, that's going to give him a much better chance to be able to not only win this job, if he's competing against Jacob Eason or Geno Smith comes back, he's competing against a rookie. It's going to give him a chance to win that job and potentially throw maybe a wrench into Seattle's plans. If he plays really well this year, that would be a good problem to have, especially if you don't draft a quarterback this year, but he has the tools to be a capable starter the question is, can he put everything together? I think in this scheme, it at least gives him a better chance to do so.
1: Well, I, I think that does give him a better chance. And again, I think for all the reasons that we just talked about, that – um the The fact that he is a much more mature player. I, I you know there there were some really good answers I, I thought that he provided. And I just you know i I put a lot of stock Corbin into into these kind of interviews. I want to see the 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 eye of the tiger, so to speak, um, you know, in these players. It's the one thing I missed the most about not going to the combine the last couple of years. i I can watch the forty yard dash times on TV like anybody else. and actually get a heck of a lot better view sitting at home watching on your television than you do if you're actually an accredited member of the media or, or a scout, for that matter, at the, at the Combine but you don't get the opportunity to have those interviews, ask the questions. I thought that you and the rest of Seattle media did a great job of asking some questions, and I just really liked Drew's response. I'll, I'll give you one example um, as far as with Teddy Bridgewater. The fact that he mentioned Teddy Bridgewater and what an impact that he had, that's what I want to hear because Teddy Bridgewater is kind of renowned for, for his work ethic, for his ability to kind of break down tape, and that's one of the things that, that people like about him. He's certainly not the most physically gifted guy. He's nothing close to what Drew Lock in terms of just pure arm talent, but he is a smart, savvy game manager type of a guy. Um, And and for Drew Locke to kind of acknowledge that he learned behind Teddy Bridgewater, I think Seattle's in a position to get Drew Locke at his best. And I think Drew Locke at his best is absolutely a starting-level quarterback, perhaps a playoff-caliber quarterback. So, again, to me, Seattle was kind of stuck with one arm behind their back because they had to trade Russell Wilson. That's become clear now that, that Russell was forcing his way out. For Seattle to have got the compensation that they received, considering how difficult of a negotiating position they were forced into to get the first round and second round picks that they got, to get a young quarterback who has this type of potential in this year's draft class, I think it was a huge move by the Seahawks. And I'm excited to see what Drew Locke might be able to provide this club on the field as number two, two for Drew. I kind of like that idea as well.
0: Yeah, again, I I thought that his comments on that were perfectly suited as far as you know we're not going to wear I'm not going to wear number three I'm going to wear number two again write his own story he wants to be known for his own number and he doesn't want to step on the shoes of Russell Wilson and the legacy he has in Seattle and so again I was impressed it's just a press conference but I'm with you I think that there is some importance when you look at those type of press conferences with new players coming in especially the quarterback position with this much pressure being put on Seahawks in the post Russell Wilson era I thought that he aced this press conference, so all around an impressive introduction to Seahawks fans and to Seattle media. I'm sure we'll be talking more about the quarterback spot here in this next segment. We do this a couple times during the off every year. It's time to look at the state of the Seahawks roster today. We'll be looking at the depth chart and offense, where things stand currently for the for the Seahawks here in the post Russell Wilson era. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts in their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership Rock Auto is a family-owned business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they've got prices that are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find a solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. right? locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices All the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We just talked about Drew Locke, a really impressive first press conference with Seattle Media, introducing himself to Seahawk fans The quarterback position is one right now that's in limbo without Russell Wilson being in town. They've only got two quarterbacks currently on the roster, and this is something we normally do after one week of free agency, and we're going to stick with tradition here. Looking at the state of the roster, we're going to look at offense today, defense on tomorrow's show, and there's been a lot of turnover, most notably with Russell Wilson getting traded. But something that I do every time this time of year, I try to look at each position group And I put players into tiers and five tiers are elite or all pro pro bowl caliber quality starter reliable reserve and fringe player and I don't view fringe player as you know being demeaning I mean it's a guy that's battling for a roster spot and all of these guys are incredible players to be in the NFL. They're all outstanding athletes, so it's not a shot at players, but every team's going to have a bunch of fringe guys that are battling for those last roster spots, and so looking at the Seahawks on offense, Rob, and the depth chart, the way that things are set up, again, you and I might totally not agree on all of these, but I've color-coded each player based off of the tier that I think they belong in, and and I, I think the Seahawks have clearly two of the best receivers in football in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. D. Eskridge has the talent to be a quality starter in this league. That looks like the one spot that they truly are set. I think tight end's looking pretty good, too, with Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson. Uh, but you can make arguments in a lot of the other positions. Even running back after resigning Rashad Penny, we don't know what Chris Carson's future holds. They've got a lot of positions here with a lot of red and a lot of yellow, reserves and fringe players, it just feels like, at least right now, there is a dearth of talent on the offensive side of the football.
1: I would agree with that. Um, you know, two of the most important positions you're seeing, as you just mentioned, an awful lot of red and yellow, and that being at quarterback and the two tackle positions. Um, you know, that was one of the things I really was kind of taken aback by when uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, Pete Carroll uh tonight on the way home from work, Corbin. Just uh it was on 950 KJR with Dave Softy Mahler and Dick Fain, and and they had some really interesting questions for uh for Pete, and it kind of just kind of hit on exactly what the, the chart that you had up there just mentioned as far as the tackles um, and, and Pete Carroll sounded very concerned. I mean, his tone changed um, with, with his concern at the tackle position. Of course, Trent Brown was in Seattle wound up going back to new England Patriots, Toronto Armstead wound up signing a deal with the Miami dolphins. Um, perhaps Dwayne Brown is still in Seattle's future. Perhaps they're just going to roll with, with, with the two young players in stone Forsyth and uh, you know, and Jay Kerham, Maybe Greg Island as well. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to kind of see what what they do at that spot. It, it it just opens up the possibility that much more that maybe number nine or certainly number 40, 41 overall, the but a top pick could be dedicated that offensive tackle class score, because I just don't see a lot of talent that's out there that uh, you know, at, at that tackle position. To me, to me, that is the one thing that I took away when I saw your chart.
0: I don't know how they could go into the season with just Curhan and foresight. They don't want to hand them the starting job. There's got to be some competition. The problem they're dealing with, as you mentioned, I mean, Trent Brown basically was in Seattle for like half a month and they weren't able to get a contract with him. Ended up signing with the new England Patriots, going back to new England yesterday. That was announced a two-year deal for 13 million. You know, maybe that was just a little bit more expensive than what Seattle was willing to pay. But the fact that they had him here for a visit multiple days, and they couldn't get it done, That's that's got to be demoralizing for Seattle because they could have really upgraded their offensive line, adding Trent Brown. Now, he's had some injury issues, but he's still only 28, and he's been a pro bowler, and that dude can move people. So that's a big loss. But you look at the market right now with Armstead getting picked up, Seattle, from what I've been told, never even sniffed that because of the price tag. But there just aren't a lot of options out there. Dwayne Brown is probably the best tackle that's left on the market. You've got some veterans that have started a lot of games, like Nate Solder and Eric Fisher, that are out there. And you could certainly sign one of those guys to compete against Stone Forsyth at left tackle. Uh, But it really does feel like this is a position they are going to have to emphasize in the draft early. And this is a good tackle class, not a great one. But maybe you can get somebody like Charles Cross at pick number nine. You know, maybe one of the top two tackles falls. I definitely don't think Evan Neal's going to be there. He's probably going to be gone first two picks. Outstanding tackle from Alabama. But there are some really good tackles at the top of this draft class. There's some guys that we've talked about, like Rasheed Walker from Penn State on day two that could make some sense. But no matter what they do, you've got two positions there that you absolutely need to add competition. Jay Curhan might be your guy, but I would not be comfortable. And Pete Carroll hinted at this at the Combine. I would not be comfortable going into training camp with him being the starter and not having a true competitor to push him, whether it's a draft pick or a veteran coming in. They need to make sure that he earns that starting job. To me, he's he's not solidified himself as a starter long term. He has to earn that in training camp. So there's no question that the tackle position really jumps out. And of course, quarterback, because of the depth and not having a guy that's a proven starter, you and I both agree that maybe Drew Locke could make it work, but this is also a position that it feels like they need to add another veteran to the mix. Maybe that's Geno Smith coming back, and they need to be strongly considering drafting a quarterback, even if they don't want to invest one of their top picks, they're going to have to bring some guys in the room to compete at that spot. And maybe they're gearing towards 2023, which is considered a much better quarterback draft class, but uh, they're going to have to add some bodies to that group to go against Drew Locke and Jacob Eason. You don't want those to be your two main guys that are battling for your starting job in August, or it could be a very long season.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just kind of referring back to that interview again that that, that Pete just did with the the guys on KJR, uh, he mentioned geno smith as if geno smith was still on the team and, and i thought that was interesting as well um and, and so to me that just kind of speaks to the the level of comfort obviously that, that pete carroll um has with geno smith who of course is not currently on seattle's roster he's a uh, unrestricted free agent himself he's, he's facing some pretty serious uh you know issues off the field as well um i think if geno smith is on seattle's roster then you feel a little bit better about the quarterback. Uh, position um, because obviously he has started for you, um, you know, and, and I, again, I think that he can be that extra set of eyes on the, on the sideline that he was for Russell Wilson. I think he can also play that role um, for, for Drew Locke. Should Drew Locke win that starting position? And obviously if if Seattle drafted themselves a rookie and the rookie um, won the job, then again, he could be playing that type of role. But I I would agree with you. I, I think the quarterback is still obviously a huge area of concern, even if it is Geno Smith. And I think that you you have to make a decision on Jacob Eason. If you really believe that that he is a potential starter moving forward, then yeah, I think that you keep him. But if he's not, then I think that you have to look at this draft class, starting from number nine overall, um, maybe even looking up. I, I think that you're going to see quarterbacks come off the board a little bit earlier um then then maybe what they should do um because again we talked so many times before corbin this is a really talented edge rusher class and a really talented but not proven quarterback class but still i think you're going to see a lot of guys go and uh and to me those are the two positions that really jumped out to me looking at the chart there was tackle and quarterback they also happen to be two of the most important positions so obviously seattle has got some decision making to be
0: doing Yeah, the other one that jumps out to me, I know Austin Blythe just signed in and maybe I'm reaching here, but he was a really solid starter for three years for the Rams. He played guard the first two and then was a center his last season there in 2020. Obviously, he did not play very much last year for the Chiefs, was banged up, but this is a guy that's been a quality starter in the NFL for a division rival and he's not 30 years old yet. He's still a fairly young player, so maybe he ends up being your long-term guy, but I look behind him and Dakota Shapley intrigues me, but we've never seen him play in a regular season game. We know what Kyle Fuller is. I'm surprised they brought him back at this point. I know he's versatile, but we haven't seen anything to suggest to us in regular season games that he is a capable NFL center. And so I'm surprised they brought him back. That is still a position we've drafted. When our mock drafts, we brought in some centers that I still feel like they need to find a long-term fixture. And this draft has Decent depth at the center position. I don't expect they're going to be bringing anybody else. And unless Ethan Post comes back, I wouldn't completely rule that out. Maybe he and Blythe are battling for the starting center job when it's all said and done, but that is still a position that I think is very much up in the air. And I mentioned at the beginning of this real quick, the running back spot. Yeah. Rashad Penny just got his new deal. You and I both agree that that was a smart signing at the price point they got because of his upside, but he's got injury history. Chris Carson, We don't know if he's even going to be able to practice because he's coming off neck surgery. It might not be a good idea to get him out on a football field. The Seahawks are hoping that he can, but then behind him, you've got Travis Homer, who's entering the last year of his rookie deal, hasn't shown that he can be an every-down guy. DJ Dallas has not shown that. He's got two years left in his deal. I still feel like running back is a position that they absolutely need to use a draft pick on and add another player that might be their future At that position, just because the attrition of that position, some of the injuries they've had there. And so, again, we'll get to this chart one last time. Some of our listeners might not necessarily agree with all the tears they've got here, but I think that we can all agree that there are a number of positions that absolutely need at least some depth pieces, if not some starter caliber players that are going to be ascending talents. From this draft class.
1: Um, you know, i a hundred percent agree with you, Corbin, but I, I think that the, the players that um that you're very likely to see from this draft class in the offensive offensive positions are going to be the quarterback a, a 10 of the tackle, quite possibly a center. But then again, running back is the wild card. Obviously only Seattle knows what uh what they know about Chris Carson. Um if, if they feel confident in him, then I don't think you necessarily have to invest a a, a draft pick in a running back. That said uh, unless you are very, very confident that Chris Carson or Rashad Payne are going to be able to provide you that bang for your buck at the running back position. I think that Seattle has to be considering one very early. This is a good running back class. And again, I mean, it's one of the things that is very, very clear is that Seattle wants to run the football. So you got to have a horse to be able to kind of do that. And, and there are some guys in this year's draft class. And then finally, one quick note there. I, I thought that you did a nice job of, of kind of assigning the values of those players. I thought that Jake Curran and Drew Locke might be able to argue that they should be more in that gray rather than the yellow. But still, I think that you were fair. And uh, and if the players who are maybe colored in a, a, you know, something that they didn't want, then, well, let's, you know, this certainly is going to be a team where you're going to have your opportunity to prove what you can do.
0: And I always say this year after year, when we do this, and I'm certainly not going to lie players, I'm sure see this, and maybe they don't necessarily like those tiers when they come out. uh, But there's always the chance for guys to move up a tier, especially some of your younger players. Like I think Rashad Penny, you and I would both agree. If he can play an entire season, even close to what he played those last six weeks last year, that is a first-team All-Pro selection. He's got that yeah. kind of talent. But I wasn't going to put him in that bubble because he hasn't even had a full season. He's been healthy. But we know that the talent is there. We know Chris Carson if he can play with his neck issue, that he's got a lot of talent. So a number of these guys, Jake Curhan could easily be a quality starter, and maybe he's a borderline pro bowler down the line if he develops. The guy that's got all those starting Uh, All that starting experience at California in the Pac-12. And so, again, these are tiers that can change. But as things stand, there certainly looks to me like there are a number of positions that badly need some reinforcements. They at least need to add some veterans that can come in and compete. They need an infusion of talented young players. They've got all these draft picks now at their disposal. So they need to take advantage. Tomorrow we'll be looking at the same type of chart, but on the defensive side of the football as we continue our First entries of the state of the roster, we'll be doing this later in the offseason as well once free agency starts to wind down and we get closer to the draft. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Again, coming up tomorrow, you won't want to miss it. We'll be looking at the defensive side of the football, continuing our state of the Seahawks roster first series here, and we'll be taking a look at the latest updates in free agency as it continues to unfold. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!